Welcome to the Axe Church Leander podcast. Join us in person or online on Facebook at 9.30 a.m. Today's reading is from Matthew verses 44 through 52. The parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The parable of the net. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Lord God, uh, you have truth, and you have, you have truth for this community. You have truth for every local body of Christ, not just here in Leander or in Texas or in the U.S., but across time and across space, Father Lord. You want to be Lord, and you want to teach us how to follow. You want to teach us what you're up to. Lord, I pray that you use this time to speak. You say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to start off with some jokes, and I promise you, I am not soft uh, launching a stand-up career. It will connect, all right? So we've got a lot of teachers in uh, this church. There was a teacher who came home, and she was despondent, and, and her husband said, sweetie, what's wrong? She said, it was a tough day. And she said, well, well why was it a tough day? He's like, well, I, I was teaching the tenses to my students, present, past and future. And I asked the question, or I made the statement, I am beautiful. Which tense is that? And one of my students shot up their hand and said, that is past tense. <laughs> We've got a lot of parents in this church. Uh, there were a, a group of parents that were trying to get the kids in, into the car, and the older four-year-old John declared, I want to sit in the left car seat. And James, the three-year-old, said, no, I want to sit in the left car seat. And they started fighting, and just this brawl breaks out. And the dad finally separates the two sons. And he says, John's the eldest, so he will sit in the left car seat. And John beams at his dad and says, Dad, which side is left? <laughs> Pastors. We can't make fun of them, right? Pastor. Uh, had to mow his lawn, his lawnmower broken, and he found one of his neighbors in a lawn sale was selling one. And so he took it home, and he gets there, he starts pulling the cord, and, and it's not going, and so he becomes indignant. And he goes back to his neighbor, and he says, this lawnmower doesn't work. And his neighbor says, oh, no, no, there's a trick to it. You, you have to curse as you're starting the lawnmower. And the pastor looks, and he goes, I'm a man of God. I have forgotten how to curse. And the neighbor says, oh, don't worry, keep pulling on that cord, you'll remember soon enough. <laughs> All right, what's the point? The point is the punchline. And we're starting a series on parables, and we're going to see if this works. There are gremlins inside. Okay, it's going. This is good. So far, the clicker is working. We're already doing better than last week. But no, we're studying parables. And parables in Scripture, it's one of the main ways that Jesus teaches truth. And there was a couple reasons why he used this. 
One was he actually needed to hide what he was really about to keep the religious leaders, to keep the physical leaders from realizing, oh no, we don't want any part of this. And so scripture says that he taught in parables to hide truth, to delay how long it would take people to realize what he was really up to. And the reason why he needed to do that was, as we're going to see towards the end of this message, when people realized how revolutionary Jesus was, they quickly decided we'd rather kill him than let him keep going. So that was part of it. He needed to hide truth. But beyond that, parables were a way in ancient culture that you would teach. But, but they weren't allegories, right? So if you think of Animal Farm, the great book, right? That's all about the 1950 Soviet Union. There's one-to-one connections, right? The pigs represent individual people. The dogs represent individual systems, right? There is a one-to-one connection. That's not what parables are. And sometimes when we read parables, we can think, okay, so I've got to figure out every single hidden meaning that Jesus is trying to say. That's not how parables work. Instead, parables are trying to find the punchline, just like a joke. It, the part of the joke isn't, oh, who does the husband represent to the teacher? No, no, no. It's, it's to get to past tense, right? It's to get to the punchline. And so that's what we need to look at over these next several weeks as we look at parables, what that means and what God is trying to say. So this parable that we have today, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and brought, bought the field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and, every, and sold everything he had and bought it. All right? The point of the uh, parable, punchline, give up everything for Jesus. That's it. Shortest sermon ever. You can bring the kids back in. No, don't do that yet, right? But that, that is the punchline, that what Jesus is doing is worth everything that we have. But the trick to this parable is understanding when Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Well, what is the kingdom of heaven? What is he trying to get at? What is he trying to do? And for that, we do need a little bit deeper of a study. In fact, all of the Gospel of Matthew, the two main things are Jesus as king of the kingdom of heaven. And you see this actually when he starts his ministry. From that time on, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come. This frames everything that Jesus is going to talk about, Jesus is going to teach about, Jesus wants you and your family, Jesus wants me as pastor to know, to repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. The problem is, We read that, and we're like, yeah, Jesus, that makes sense. I'm down with that. But we start to translate it with our own priorities. And as soon as we start translating it with our own priorities, we get off track, and all of a sudden, we miss what Jesus is trying to do here. Because the modern understanding of that verse goes wrong quickly. Most of us grew up in the evangelical faith, whether it was Lutheran or Baptist or non-denominational, 
And as any good evangelical knows, what's most important is that you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And so you see, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And you're like, totally makes sense, Jesus. I got it. You died on the cross for my sins. That's the repent part. Kingdom of heaven, that's how I get into heaven. I'm going to punch my ticket. Good to know. Moving on. That isn't what Jesus was talking about, though. I mean, yes, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Amen. Praise God. That is the heartbeat of what keeps us moving. Because as we talked about in the last sermon series, we're all sinner saints. We're all from the island of misfit toys. Right? Even when we're following God, even once we are declared as God's children, we're still wrestling with it. So we still need forgiveness of sins. We still need to confess, God, we're still broken, and we still need to hear the absolution, and I love you, and I forgive you. But that's not the point that Jesus was trying to make. And in fact, what we're going to find out is if we rightly understand the kingdom of heaven, eternity takes care of itself. If we rightly understand what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven, we don't have to worry about eternity because we're with Jesus now, and if you're with Jesus now and you're with Jesus tomorrow, eternity, y'all, is the natural conclusion that heaven, that paradise, that promise that our life doesn't end here is seated in the kingdom of heaven. And so our modern interpretation of repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, gets off, but also the ancient Jewish understanding was off. They also had their own interpretation of what it was going to be. Now, mind you, theirs is a little bit, not necessarily closer to home, but it made a little bit more sense they misunderstood in the Old Testament what God was going to do in the future. Because God had promised that he was going to come back, but the nation of Israel, the Jewish people at one time, they had a country, they were powerful. In fact, kings and queens from all over the world would come just to check out Israel. They had the vacation spot. They had the place where if you wanted to relax, if you wanted to go to the best spas, eat the best foods, you would go to Israel. They had a strong army. They were proud, and, and, and in that pride, God punished them. They forgot that God was the one who gave them everything. They turned to other gods. And the consequence of that was nation after nation after nation came and conquered Israel. The Babylonian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the Persian Empire, and eventually the Roman Empire. And so the people of Israel, they wanted God. They had listened to the promises of God that he wasn't done yet. And, and so they were expecting to get their nation back. And you would even see this in the prophets. This is from Jeremiah. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest mountain. It will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of our God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This was a prophecy, a promise that God was going to do something in the future. And the Jewish people read that, that he was going to bring back their physical kingdom. They, they were going to get the boundaries of their country back. They were going to be able to kick out Rome. And, and the rest of the world would again come to Israel as this jewel of God. They wanted a physical kingdom. They wanted a physical king. 
And so that's who they were waiting on. And so when they heard, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, they're thinking, okay, if we can just do enough right things, God's going to give us our land back. He's going to give us our autonomy back. But, but what we see is God had a different plan this time. It wasn't going to be a physical location for Israel. He wanted to reign over the entire earth. It was a more expansive vision that moved just beyond the, the Jewish people to all people. And that, that's what the Jeremiah verse was about. That from the mountain of God, the word of the Lord wouldn't just go to Israel, but it would go to everyone. No longer was it an us versus them. Instead, God was saying, y'all, I have a plan for everybody. I want everyone to be invited. And I want to reign over the world. And, and that's, that's the other thing that we get wrong in English is the word kingdom in English, we normally think of boundaries, right? We normally think of physical space. And so there is the kingdom of Texas. And y'all, I, I didn't realize this, there are two full years of Texas history that you, that you need to take, right? So they know exactly where the boundaries of Texas are. They know the history of Texas. We have boundaries as a country. We have boundaries as city limits. So we think of a kingdom and we think of physical boundaries, but that's not what the word means in Greek. The word means in Greek where a person reigns, where they have authority. So part of that's location, but more than just the location, is talking about where is the king in control. And what we find in the kingdom of heaven is that Jesus is saying God wants to be in control of everything. And again, you see this in Matthew. You see this in the Lord's Prayer. This then is how you should pray, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your reign come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer is that God would reign over everything. That's the goal. That's where God is going. And what we see in scriptures, what we see in Matthew is he's going to do it differently. Because we think, okay, God, you being in control means we need to change the externals. We need to change the system. If we can just get rid of Rome, or if we're in America, if we can just elect this party or that party, or this candidate or that, if we can just change the externals of what's happening at our school board meetings, that will fix things. That's not what Jesus does. Instead, he says, no, 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 I'm going to change your internal problem, which will affect the external world. And that's what he starts teaching on. That's what he starts doing, right? It's this upside-down kingdom where instead of saying, I'm going to fix the world and that will fix you, he says, no, 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 I'm going to fix my kids. And as my kids are fixed, as my kids learn to live out as their identity as redeemed and loved children, they're going to start to fix the world around them. And my reign and my rule and justice, biblical outcomes will start to happen from the inside out, from the upside down. Right? That's why Jesus, when he starts the Sermon on the Mount, it starts off with the Beatitudes. And Jesus began to teach them, and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Wait, what? Blessed are the poor in spirit? Who wants to sign up for that? That doesn't sound fun. Give me like the blessed are the happy all the time. Blessed are the joyful. Blessed are those who get to listen to jokes. No, blessed are the poor in spirit, he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is how the Sermon of the Mount starts. This frames it. This is saying, my kingdom is like this. Blessed are those who mourn. I, I don't want to mourn. 
I want my football team to win. I want my mortgage rates to go down. I don't want to worry about the economy. I don't want to worry if my family's sick. But no, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the... The meek! Meek means weak. I don't want to be meek. I want to be powerful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. None of this sounds fun. Because all of this is about my internals and what God is trying to do in my internals and your internals. But he says, y'all, my kingdom is upside down, but my kingdom is good. My kingdom is worth it. And that's what our God is after. He wanted to be king of that kind of kingdom. And so as you read through the Gospels, and especially Matthew, he keeps going back again and again and again to saying things like, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. He says things like, you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Become a servant of all. This upside-down kingdom is what he came to preach, what he came to teach, what he came to model, what he came to create inside of his kids. But the world doesn't want that kind of kingdom. Me, in my sinful nature, I don't want that. I want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? I want power. I want status. The whole world wants it. And so we create this game. Because remember King of the Hill? Have you ever played that game? Not the show. I know we're in Texas, so it's also kind of very important here. But no, the, 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 the game growing up, King of the Hill, horrible game to teach students, right? Horrible game to teach kids. What do you do? You find a giant mound, and the goal is to get to the top of it. And then once you're at the top of it, you have to defend your spot from everyone else who's trying to claw at you to pull you down. That's how the world operates. And go figure, that's where we have wars, that's why we have bitterness, that's why we have tribalism and us versus them, because it's just one giant king of the hill game. And so the king shows up and says, we're going to do this upside down. Instead of saying, I got to get to the top and pull everyone down, no, we're going to flip the script, and I'm asking me as king, I'm going to serve you. And now I'm asking you to go out and serve others in humility, in kindness, in gentleness. And what's insane is the early church did this. And you know what the church came up with? Do you know what the early church came up with hospitals? Pre uh, the church, there were doctors that you could pay to come to your house, but there wasn't a central spot that you could go to if you were sick. And so the Christians were like, we need a space that those who are sick, that those can't, who can't afford to have a doctor come to them, they can go there. Do you know Christians came up with early education? And literacy and schools, it used to be you would get a philosopher, you would get a teacher that, again, would come to you if you could afford it. But we realized, no, we wanted people to read scripture, and so we started universities. We started opportunities for people to learn. We fed the hungry, we clothed the sick and the foreigner because we believed in this upside-down kingdom. We believed that God's reign could be something we could start to see here on earth. Not perfectly, but, but, but fragments of hope and joy and beauty, and, and we live that out. But the problem was, as Jesus continued to go, as he continued to teach, um, people didn't get it. They, they, kept, they kept thinking he was saying something else. 
And one of the things I love about the book of Matthew is the people who get it first aren't from Israel. So it's the Magi who show up in Matthew, the magicians from the Far East, non-Jewish folk, who show up and like, hey, we hear there's a king of the Jews. We want to come and worship him because they were looking for that type of a sign. They were, their, their heads were open to, you know what, maybe it's going to look different than it did in the past. And it's the centurion who realizes who Jesus is. And he says, so when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to even have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go when he goes, that one go, leaves and he leaves. Come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, and let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. The centurion realized that Jesus was king, was king with power, but he used that power differently. He didn't come in thunder blazing, Zeus from on high, smiting all of his enemies. Instead, he comes in humble, right? He, he, he enters the city riding on a donkey on the colt of a fool as a way to say, I am here to serve you. I am not here to oppress you. I am not here to mandate you do this, but instead to invite you into a different type of culture, a different type of kingdom. I am that type of a king. And so as the gospel unfolds, more and more people start realizing what Jesus is teaching and how radical it is. Because those in power realize if you take Jesus' statements to the next logical conclusion, eventually they have to give up their power. Eventually their power doesn't serve them, but they're called to serve. And so people, as Jesus knew they would, come up with a rather extreme solution to this new philosophy, to this new king, to this Messiah that God sent. And they're like, you know what? We can just kill him. Literally, that's the solution. We will kill him to stop him. But even through that, Jesus again and again and again reminds them I'm still the king God sent. Again, this is from the book of Matthew. But Jesus remains silent. This is between him and the priests. So the pastors get together. And we're not happy with Jesus. And the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Are you the one who is supposed to come? And Jesus says, you have said so. But... Oh, sorry, that's it. Uh, meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor. Now he's before the political powers. And the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Again, Jesus says, you have said so. And then when they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they watch over him there. And above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, king of the Jews. As soon as we, and mind you guys, this is not a Jewish thing. This is a humanity thing. As soon as humanity realized what Jesus was up to, 
our sinful side, our prideful side, our side that says, no, I want more power for myself, that, not that I can serve, that I may be served. As soon as we realized what Jesus' upside-down kingdom means, all of us rebel. And all of us would have done the same thing. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, without God first moving and acting on our behalf, our sinful nature always takes over, and everything literally goes to hell. Even though that was always the plan. Even though that's what God was always willing to do. No, we'd rather just get rid of him. Now, the good news is the story doesn't end there. This would be a rather depressing run if... Matthew 27 ended at verse 37, but it doesn't. Instead, what we find is a God who even when humanity throws its worst at him, he does a miracle. Like, he does the miracle. We kill him, but in killing him, he takes on all of our sin, all of our brokenness, all the ways of the world, and he says, I am paying for all of it. You are forgiven. You are loved. There is nothing you can do that can ever separate you from the love of God. And in the same way we tell our kids, how much do you love me? This much, this much, or this much? Jesus says, I love you this much. And he goes to the cross. And not only does he die, he comes back to life. And then how does Matthew end? The book of Matthew ends with Jesus talking about authority. Oh, boo. Next slide. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, next slide, in the name of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Next slide. The Gospels end with Jesus in authority. The Gospels end not with him dead, but alive. Now seated at the right hand of his father with all authority, he says, to start to see heaven come to earth. With with all authority to actually see the prayer, your kingdom come, your reign come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And in heaven, no one goes hungry. And so on earth, he says, y'all, I want you to feed people. In heaven, no one is separated from community. And so he says, y'all, I want you to be agents of reconciliation. In heaven, everyone has access to good things like education and health. And so he says, y'all, I want you as my children to advocate and to partner with places like Baghdad or running Brushy. He says, y'all... In heaven, good things happen, and on earth, I want good things to happen, too. That's what he means by the kingdom of heaven. So let's go back to that parable. Next slide. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. For when a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy went and sold all he had to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Next slide. For when he found one of great value, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Next slide. The punchline is that what Jesus is up to is worth going all in on. Is worth sacrificing everything for. Is worth believing and trusting God 
I think that what you are doing, what you are trying to do in my community, in me internally, is worth me giving up those other things that I am so easily entrapped by. And that can look a thousand different ways. Because the punchline for each of us is different. Maybe you're a student. And there are times where you see other students who don't have friends. And it's easy to pretend they don't exist. It's easy to hold on to your power, your privilege, your friend group. And Jesus is saying, Yo, I, I need you to give that up to love like I loved. Maybe it means work. And realizing, you know what, God, I, I know I can make more money if I cut corners but you're a God of integrity and of truth, and you don't want me to do that. And so it might mean sacrificing some prophets in order to live with integrity. Maybe it's your family. And there are just things where you're like, it has to be my way or the highway, and God is saying, this is getting in the way of you being able to connect with your family. And we need to be able to sacrifice that. And say, you know what, God, I believe that what you are doing is better than what I am doing. I believe God's best thinking is better than my best thinking. And I'm willing to go all in on that with the promise and the trust to realize that when we do it, he's really good at his job. And he's making beautiful things happen. And he has throughout all of history not just at this local body of Christ, but through bodies of Christ all throughout time. That he works for us, that he fights for us, and because he loves us this much, hey, Josh, I, I want you to love that much. Hey, families, I want you to experience that. And then we get like the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of the kingdom, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all the stuff that the world clearly struggles with. All the stuff that me and my sinner side clearly struggle with. He goes, I want to give you that gift. And I promise it's worth it. And yes, you will sacrifice one thing, but something else will come. And it is good, and it is beautiful, and it is the kingdom of heaven here on earth in your families, and with your kids, and with your neighbor, and fellow students. He goes, I'm going to do something beautiful through you. And he invites us as his kids to be a part of it. And that is good news. But it's good news that all of us need to be convicted by. So every week we build into our rhythm, confession, and absolution. Because again, none of us in our own nature, me at the front of the line, want to live that way. Right? I don't want to live in the upside-down kingdom. I want more money. I want more power. I want my team to win, whether it's sports, whether it's politics, whether it's in my family. I, I want to play King of the Hill, and God is saying, I need you to flip that upside down. So let's confess that we're still working on it. Let's hear absolution, and then let's connect in worship. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you in confession that it is so easy to want to live in our own kingdom, to be king or queen of our own little patch. And when we play that way, we don't serve others. We, we expect to be served. Lord, we come up with justifications and excuses for why we act or live the way we do. Lord, that's sin, and it breaks down our relationship with you and with each other, with our families, our coworkers, fellow students. 
Lord God, we come before you in confession, but we are bold to confess because when you rose back from the dead, you breathed on your disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. For if you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. Lord, we are clean, we are renewed. Lord, we are again invited to live under your reign with your posture in this world. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about our church at actschurchleander.com.